And we're excited to go back to the Auburn Bank Fun Line. We've talked to him for years now at this point. But Ben Golliver, he writes for the Washington Post. He could be followed on Twitter, at Ben Golliver, and he joins us now here on the show. Ben, the time is always greatly appreciated. And we've got an actual NBA conversation here to have with you in Auburn, Alabama today with everybody trying to watch Jabari Smith tonight. Thanks for the time, Ben, and welcome into the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. And guys, I, I kid you not, I just got here at a Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York for the draft. And what did I see outside on the sidewalk except for four Auburn fans head to toe in the orange <laughs> and blue? They had basketball. I think that they were trying to wait, maybe get a chance to see Jabari Smith, maybe get his autograph or something. Uh, it was, uh, you know, a nice, warm Tiger welcome. We're counting down till, till the first pick goes forward, and a lot of people do believe Jabari's going to be that first selection going to the Orlando Magic. I know there's been a lot of uh, sports books and betting odds switch in favor of Paula Bancaro coming out of Duke, but Ben, give us the rundown for Jabari Smith and his likelihood of, of going number one. I think he's going number one personally. I mean, he seems like he's been the strong favorite for a while. He fits exactly what Orlando needs in terms of a guy who's going to give you offense, a guy who can shoot the basketball. They've really struggled both as a team offense and then also just, you know, generating three-pointers, hitting three-pointers. It's been kind of a problem. He's also just a really modern player. I mean, you you look at the two-way impact, uh, his motor on defense, his versatility in terms of guarding multiple positions, the shooting ability that I mentioned, no character question, son of a former player. I mean, he just seems like kind of a safe number one pick, not a lot of questions. You can easily imagine him playing in the kind of fast and free-flowing finals like we just saw between Golden State and Boston. You know, fast forward five years, I think Jabari Smith could be in that mix. So I do think he's going to be the number one pick. I got a chance to spend a little bit of time around these lottery guys yesterday, and his body, his frame, it pops, man, even next to all these guys who are going to be top ten picks. He's big, he's long. You can tell he's going to be able to add some strength. Um, and he's got a nice smile, too, which doesn't hurt the uh, magic. They're trying to sell tickets and sell jerseys, and I think he's going to be a very marketable player. And, and of course, as you mentioned, Ben, there's going to be a lot of Auburn fans really excited about Jabari Smith going first overall. There's going to be some instant Orlando Magic fans, assuming that he does. I shouldn't say he will. Assuming he does go number one. For those that become instant Orlando Magic fans tonight, what is the roster situation uh, what is the outlook? Obviously, all these teams picking down the lottery have had rough seasons as of late, but uh, what, what kind of roster does Orlando have, assuming they take Jabari Smith? And I'll bring it full oh. circle, Ben, because the, one of the first times we talked to you was right after Chuma Okiki made his <laughs> debut in the NBA. And so there's already one Auburn guy there, but yeah, catch us up to speed on Orlando right now. Well, I was going to say, you know, I put it this way, Auburn football's had a better decade than Orlando <laughs> Magic, all right? I mean, they've really been kind of adrift ever since Dwight Howard left. You'll remember he went to the Los Angeles Lakers, that big move. It just didn't really work out. Ever since he left, they've been kind of adrift. They've been looking to have a franchise player, and they've really just been cycling the pieces. They keep having bad lottery luck where maybe they're drafting one or two spots behind where the big names go. Like they just barely missed out on Joel Embiid that year, and they had a couple other close misses. So what they're hoping for from Jabari Smith is he's going to be the tentpole player, right? He's going to be the guy that you build everything around. And in terms of their roster, they do have a number of young players, you know, taken in recent lotteries and, and recent drafts that you could kind of put around them. You know, they're waiting on Jonathan Isaac. He's a real high-level defensive player. He's been injured these last couple of years, but he should be back to start next season. Um, they've got Wendell Carter Jr. Um, he's a you know a center in the middle. 
They got their last year's lottery pick is Jalen Suggs, and, and he really struggled as a rookie. He had some injury issues, but he played great at Gonzaga. I'm sure you guys remember his freshman year. He hit that crazy half-court shot in the tournament, got a lot of people excited. He's a very cerebral point guard. So what I think you're going to see is a core developing, probably between Suggs and uh, Jabari Smith, Wendell Carter Jr. That's going to kind of be their core, and then they're going to have to kind of figure out who else can they get stick. Now, it's a tricky spot in Orlando because they, they don't really attract a ton of free agents, right? And so they're going to try to build this thing very gradually through the draft. So don't be surprised if there's a year or two of struggles as they let Jabari Smith get up to speed, you know, kind of give him you know, plenty of leash to do what he wants to do as a rookie and in his second year as they try to get some other young talent around him. And then also, Ben, want to obviously ask you about the other projected first-round pick for Auburn, Walker Kessler, and, and what kind of – team what kind of need will he fill for a team and, and just his style of play as a center has been uh it seems like it's been moving in the direction of just kind of defensive rim protectors and not worrying as much about the offense then so talk about what teams kind of look for in the draft and when they take a big guy well it's funny i mean when you get to the playoffs and, and those seven footers that are kind of paint bound who are hitting the glass and uh, maybe they're not as quite as mobile or they're not three-point shooters and stuff like that. Those guys tend to fall by the wayside, right? But what the NBA executives will tell you is an 82-game season, a long season, and you don't want to be playing small ball centers. You don't want to be playing guys like Draymond Green at center for six or seven months straight because those guys are going to get injured. So what they're looking for, it's kind of like the baseball pitchers. They call the innings eaters, right? Like the guys who could just kind of get you towards the end of the game. Uh, you know, a lot of teams are looking for big centers who can play defense, who can man the paint, who can finish around the rim and just kind of buy you some time during that regular season and kind of keep the minutes and keep the tough load um, off of maybe your most athletic players. So uh, I know a lot of people wanted to say a few years ago, the center is dead in the NBA. That's not quite true. You know, there's still a number of centers who are operating at a very high level. Heck, the MVP, Nikola Jokic is a center, right, this year. And the runner-up was uh, – Joel Embiid. So I'm not going to compare Walker Kessler to those guys, but I do think there's still a role for guys like him, um, and certainly he should be uh, he should be coveted on draft night. Both Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith Jr. will be in the green room tonight for the NBA draft. Ben, not that you need any help whatsoever identifying those guys, but they're going to be some of the tallest <laughs> human beings in the Barclays Center tonight. Well, like I told you, I got a chance to spend a little bit of time around those guys uh, You know, yesterday. I mean, they were doing some nice community service events. They were uh, packaging up some like community service, uh, you know, gift bags for local people in need here, and then also teaching kind of a basketball camp. And it was funny, uh, you know, Jabari Smith was out there with Chet Holmgren, and they're on the court, and I kind of felt like they wanted to go one on one a little bit. They didn't, but I kind of thought, hey, maybe these guys are going to, uh, you know, show us a little something. But they kept it to just some uh, light shooting and, and some joking around, <laughs> and they seem like they're very loose, very happy. And I'll tell you what, man, these guys are getting mopped. You know, coming in and out of their hotel in Midtown Manhattan. I mean, you're not too far away from Times Square. That's a busy part of the country, right? And these guys are, are having fans kind of like running down the street after them, trying to get a picture, trying to get a, a high five, whatever it might be. So it's been a fun scene here in New York. It's Ben Golliver with the Washington Post joining us here as we start to wrap our conversation here with him. Ben, obviously a lot of the basketball world right now has their eyes there on Brooklyn, not only for the NBA draft, but the future of Kyrie Irving. What's going on there? What can you tell us? Uh, does it feel like he's going to be playing for Brooklyn this upcoming season? Well, look, Kyrie Irving did a classic thing. He overplayed his hand. You know, he thought that he was sort of like on this ownership level where he got to make decisions along with the front office. And that's how he was talking at the end of the season. Oh, I'm going to be back in Brooklyn. You know, I'm just going to sit down and have some conversations with uh, Sean Marks and, 
and owner Joe Sy. He's addressing these guys as first names, like as if they're buddy buddy. It's like, <laughs> you know, newsflash. You know, you're you're one member of this team, and and everybody in the NBA eventually is replaceable. And he created so many problems and so many headaches, and just made life miserable for a lot of people last year because he wasn't out there on the court every single night, right? And so I think that. He is realizing, like, look, you know, um, they're not just going to back up the Brinks truck and give you every last dollar that you want. You're going to have to negotiate here. You might even have to sacrifice in terms of how much money you're taking or how long you're signing a contract for. And I think that's probably been a rude awakening for him. He's been used to being a max guy his entire NBA career. And so I think he's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like a cold splash of water on his face, right? Now, where does this go? Well, we'll see. I mean, Brooklyn, if they can't keep Kyrie Irving, they, they, they can't keep Kevin Durant happy what do they have left? I mean, that's a terrible team. The whole thing goes up in smoke, right? So I think Kyrie's got a little bit of leverage too, but I'll say this, as long as Kevin Durant would be okay with it, and you'd have to sit down and talk to him, I think the Nets would be better off without Kyrie Irving. He was such a distraction last year. He prevented them from getting any kind of chemistry and rhythm during the regular season. If I was the Nets, I would think long and hard about just walking away from the table and saying, good luck, go ahead, go sign with the Lakers, go sign with whoever else you want to sign with. Um, we're gonna we're getting out of the Kyrie Irving business. Do I think that's gonna happen? I'm not sure. It's usually not quite that clean. It's usually uh, a lot of money involved, and certainly Kyrie Irving gets people to tune in and gets people to buy jerseys. But I don't think he was worth it. You know, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze last year with Kyrie Irving. Well, we'll certainly see how it all plays out, and we know who to follow for all that coverage and information. Ben, your time is always greatly appreciated. Do us a favor. Tell us how Bubble Ball is doing. That's a conversation we've had in the past, uh, promoting your book about your experience living in the NBA bubble there in 2020, and where can people find your work in the book in particular? Well, I appreciate you asking about it. It's amazing. It's been almost two years since the NBA bubble. Time flies. It probably feels <laughs> like 20 years, to be honest. But uh, the book's called Bow Ball. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, really kind of anywhere you buy books. And it's my, my uh, personal trip through 93 days staying at Disney World and following that Lakers title run and the Milwaukee Bucks protest and everything in between. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, I, I talk a lot about the Celtics in that book because they made the conference finals, and I was saying, hey, if these guys grow up, maybe they're going to have a chance to get to the finals, maybe win a title one day. They came pretty darn close, yeah. but the Warriors took care of business. But it, it is fun. If you're a real basketball fan, it's a nice snapshot into what life was like in 2020 when we had so many questions about the world. Thanks for the time today, Ben. We'll catch up again soon, okay? All right, gentlemen, take care and have fun tonight, huh? Absolutely. That's Ben Golliver with the Washington Post joining us there on the program.